Welcome to the number one cookbook podcast, Cookery by the Book, with Susie Chase. She's just a home cook in New York City, sitting at her dining room table, talking to cookbook authors. Hi, I'm James Rich, and I'm the author of Apple Recipes from the Orchard, which is out now. Apple is a celebration of this humble fruit. What inspired you to write this cookbook? Um, Oh, that's quite an interesting question, actually. So uh, my family, um, we have a cider farm in Somerset in England, where I'm from. um, And it's been going for generations. And and even before we had the farm, we were um, working on the land and working within the fruit and vegetable industry in Somerset for uh, centuries before that. Um, And so for me, it kind of represents home um, and uh, the inspiration behind kind of focusing on apple in the book is because uh, it's to kind of link back to my family. Um, So yeah, it has um, many kind of multiple meanings for me, but also um, for us as a culture as well. I think think it has a number of meanings for us in culture through history and and, uh, and religion even. Um, So yeah, it's got multiple meanings, but for me, it's something that represents home. Did you include any old family recipes in this cookbook? Um, yeah, I did actually. Uh, the cider farm um, back at home, we actually have a restaurant there as well. So um, the idea for the cookbook came to me many, many years ago when I worked there as a teenager. Um, and we'd use the produce from the farm, so the, the apple juice and the cider, the hard cider, um, uh, it would be called in America. Um, we use those, obviously, in the, in the dishes that we served. And we used to have customers come in and ask us about um, about how we use the produce from the farm in the dishes. So we thought about maybe writing out like a kind of leaflet or some information about the recipes and sharing them with customers. And um, so when I actually started writing it um, a couple of years ago, I was able to kind of go back to the farm and, and talk to them about those dishes years ago and, and, and include some of them in the book, like the stews and the pies and things like that. So um, they're slightly, slightly edited versions um, to what we used to, what we used to put in the farm but um yeah there's some old recipes in there that we kind of updated for for 20 2019 so wait so you call our hard cider your apple cider so we call so hard cider in the u.s is just cider in uh the uk um and so when i say cider i'm talking about the alcoholic beverage uh when i say cider in america you're talking about apple juice right yeah uh, non, yeah, non-alcoholic. So yeah, so um, cider in the UK has is, is got alcohol in it. It's so very what you, confusing. <laughs> what do you call the non-alcoholic one? Just a- apple juice. Okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm taking notes. So yeah. a little history. Where did the apple tree originate? Well, um, interestingly, the apple tree originally is from uh, an area that's now known as, as kind of Kazakhstan. It's um, um, out there. They actually have forests. Um, they still do, apparently. I'd love to visit visit it. Um, hopefully, we'll be, we'll be able to one day. Um, but they actually have forests of apple trees out there. And if you go, go out there in this time of year, obviously, all of the trees are covered in the glorious fruit and the smell must be amazing. Um, so, yeah, it originated um, in that part of the world and then through various... Um, empires and the things like the Roman Empire was 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 kind of crucial in in uh, in moving the trees around with them as they kind of conquered various parts of the world and much of the spread of the tree happened um, during the Roman times. Um, so they figured that the apple was an obviously a very hardy fruit, it was very nutritious, and it was easily stored over winter. So they kind of 
uh, uprooted some of the trees, I imagine, and um, and moved it around their their ever expanding empire and helped kind of uh, share the fruit to kind of new groups of people and, and obviously embed it in our kind of everyday life. And you can find apples in every single country in the world now. They're um, they're so far reaching. As you said, you're a master cider maker's son, and your family has yeah. been making a living off the land for centuries in Somerset, England. Tell mm. me about one of your fondest memories growing up around the apple trees. Oh, I have loads. Um, it's I don't know if, if you ever get to visit Somerset, I would really encourage you to. It's um, We live on the uh, Somerset Levels, which is a very flat um, part of the country. Um, it's actually the, the levels are, are below sea level. Um, so they, they tend to flood quite easily. And uh, so in the winter, it's quite a wet um, environment. Um, but it's because of that and because of all the water, it's absolutely um, vibrant green and it's just such a beautiful place. Um, and we're surrounded by all of these wonderful apple trees that grow um, grow really well in that part of the world. So, um, yeah, lots of memories. My dad, obviously, he would be this time of year in uh, uh, kind of the latter part of the year, he's obviously pressing the apples. But um, in the early parts of the year, he's pruning the trees. So um, when I was younger, I, had a, I have many memories of, of me and my sisters going with him to work. Um, and running around an orchard while he's pruning trees and digging, ferreting in ditches and, and thickets to find uh, uh, little animals and, and you know toads and things like that, um, and having a whale of a time just getting lost in this kind of magical um, uh, kind of world uh, under the trees. So yeah, it's a very um, it's very evocative for me. I, I love and this time of year as well. If you go. Um, around September, October, when the, uh, when the apples are being pressed, the farm smells of that beautiful, like crushed apple smell. Um, and that's like, I've got very fond memories of that as well. I don't think I know anyone who doesn't like apples. Do you? No, I haven't. I, I, funny story. I, um, I didn't meet when I was writing the book, uh, I haven't met anybody who doesn't like apples. However, I do have a friend who, um, when I was testing the recipes, um, I don't know about you if you've ever t- uh, tested recipes, um, but I can only test them so many times before I kind of lose the ability to kind of be critical or even taste with them, which is obviously <laughs> quite important if you're writing food, uh, writing about food. So um, I went on social media and spoke to some friends and said, oh, if I send you some recipes, can you test them for me? And um, obviously I'm writing an apple cookbook and it was kind of like known then that that's what I was doing um and I sent one to one friend who um who I it was a soup it was the turmeric um an apple soup and um I said oh if you just give it tests let me know be as critical as you want when you come back and, and so she made it and she she got back in touch with me so I've made the soup I was like oh brilliant what did you think she said mm, it was okay but I don't really like apples in savory dishes <laughs> so I was like oh, oh uh, not really sure what we can do for you then (laughs) so um yeah it was very good she uh she did like it but she wasn't so keen on apples in cooking so um I suppose the book's maybe not for her (laughs) I kind of get that because I don't I love raw apples but Mm. I don't love apples that have been cooked because it kind of changes the crunchiness it changes the consistency of it I kind of get it I'm with her yeah, yeah. a little it's, bit. Um, I, I actually make, there's a recipe in the book, which I've made a couple of times as uh, I've been doing events launching the book, which is um, an apple, coconut and ginger curry. 
Um, and that generally is the, is one dish in the book that people really kind of question. They're like, oh, really? Like, how does uh, how does an apple work with with like a kind of like curry sauce? And that recipe specifically has its roots in um, in the Caribbean and in Sri Lanka, um, where they use a lot of fruit and, and spices together. I, I personally think it's delicious, but it is one of those kind of um, we would say in the UK like a Marmite meal where you either love it or you hate it. <laughs> so, yes. <laughs> So this is a really good story. Tell us about the drinking water situation in Somerset. Oh, yeah. So as I was saying, the um, so Somerset is below sea level. Um, and uh, when we have a lot of rainfall, then obviously um, that often means that the land floods. Uh, it can quite often uh, result, uh, well, in, in years gone past, centuries gone past, it would um, result in kind of the water stagnating and not being incredibly healthy to drink. Um, and actually quite dangerous. It could kill you um, if you if it was if it was a uh, you know, uh, mixed with something um, not very friendly. In the old, very old days, um, the local land uh, owners and farmers would make cider and beer also as a form of payment for the land workers. And they would take that as payment because it was a form of like healthy hydration. So you'd be allocated an amount you could drink every day. And I don't think it was probably as al- quite as alcoholic as the hard cider we have today. But the fermentation process and and, and uh, mixing it, it, it kills all of of the uh, the bugs and the bad things in in the in the water, so it kind of it, made, it brought it back around to being a healthy form of hydration for people. So it's apples and cider. It's not just a kind of um, a fruit and a drink that we enjoy today at our leisure and we have a great time, you know, sitting in a in um maybe like in a nice square or in the beer garden or something in a pub and enjoying it on a nice hot day. It actually has roots in that part of the world as being something that was really really kind of fundamental to. Um, to society. So yeah, it's an important thing. I feel a little badly for the apple because it's been labeled a forbidden fruit and lots of yeah. other negative connotations. Yeah, it has. It goes well back into, uh, you know, into religious culture. And I, I think it's a really unfair label because it's, you know, it's super healthy. It's packed full of uh, vitamins. And yes, of course, it has the natural sugars in there. But, you know, it's much better. Um, I think we should kind of like revisit our love for um, for this fruit because um, it would be much better if we if we snacked on things like apple and other fruits um, rather than kind of reached for our um, you know refined sugar snacks that we tend to have today or, or fizzy pop and things like that so um, yeah I think it's an unfair label but I think people people are getting it again now I think it's kind of having a bit of a resurgence hopefully Growing apples is no easy business. Describe how they're selected and picked. The tree is grafted together. So if you need to make a new variety, you'll take a kind of pair, essentially like parent uh, stock and you'll graft those two, those two stock together to, um, to formulate a new type of apple. So you can find trees that have multiple different types of apple on them. So you can have one tree in your garden that has, say, like a cooking apple and an eating apple and an apple that uh, fruits in uh, very late August and an apple that fruits in maybe October time, just on one tree because of the way that you kind of graft the um, young uh, tree to an older version of it. Um, so yeah, it's a very kind of technical um, way of growing uh, growing fruit, but it results in kind of really hardy trees and really hardy fruit stock, which is really important. And then the farmers or the cider makers will go will go out and kind of assess the types of apple that they want to use. There are absolutely thousands of different varieties in the world. There, are, I think it's about seven and a half thousand globally um, of different varieties of apple. And I think in the US, it's about four and a half thousand that you grow there. And I think we're about 
kind of two and a half, three thousand in the UK. Um, so there are so many to pick from, and there are constantly new varieties being added. So whether there's uh, you know some with a higher sugar content for a juice, or, or whether it's something that's a little bit more bitter sharp for cider um, or even cooking, then um, yeah, there's a, there's absolutely an apple for everything. There are apples that taste that have kind of like pineapple notes, or even kind of like a tobacco taste or strawberry, um, and there are others that are just very very kind of sharp standard uh, apple flavor so yeah it's a very very uh, interesting topic and if you actually spoke to my dad who is the master of this um he would talk for hours on on how you propagate and uh, and grow apple trees so how are they picked is there a machine um, so- yeah, for cider. So it's actually better for cider um, and juicing if you, well, cider certainly, if um, the apples drop. So they drop to the floor, um, which means they're super, super ripe, and they can um, then be picked up by machine or, or hand-picked, depending on the, the size of the orchard. My family sourced the apples all from local orchard owners. So we obviously grow some ourselves and have our own orchards, but it's never enough to fulfill demand. So they always buy them in from other sources, from other orchards. But because a lot of these orchards in that part of the world are super, super old, you sometimes can't get the machinery around the trees. So you have to go and handpick, um, which obviously takes a bit longer. Generally, you'll wait until they drop to the floor and then you'll pick them up by machine or by hand or give the branches a little shake just to kind of um, make the, the ripest apples um, drop um, and pick them that way. But it's uh, yeah, it takes a long time. You were talking about all of the varieties. Is there a market for all of these different varieties of apples? No, and it's a real shame. I um, mentioned in the book, I wanted to, when uh, I started writing the variety section in the book, I wanted to try and include as many different varieties and a very, very as many weird and wonderful varieties as possible. But it was, uh, there are so many, it was practically impossible to do. There are specialists, and I really encourage people to speak to their local um, like farmer's market or or do some research and find some local growers. There's some amazing ones in the US who specialize in heritage varieties and older varieties and, and something that's a little bit different because you've kept the integrity of the apple that it's been there's been there for such a long time the taste is amazing it really kind of like bursts in your mouth and there's uh, you know the juice is often much better they'll always be seasonal as well so you can always only ever get them at the time that they are available i put a note in the book just encouraging people to go out and find local growers and sources for um, different types of varieties because you can really have a play with those within your food and like i said they have multiple different flavor notes in uh, uh, the different varieties so you can have a, a play with with what works better for the dish that you're creating what's your favorite apple in the u.s what i see a lot over there is a macintosh which is quite a, a, a standard variety um that's available in supermarkets that i think has a really good it's kind of like a good generic apple and i think will work really well in salads as well as kind of you could like, bake baking them for dessert would be delicious as well and what's your favorite in the uk my favorite in the uk is a is the cox's orange pippin which actually you obviously have in in the u.s as well so maybe i should have said that what's um, it called uh, it's called a cox's orange pippin and it is a very very old variety it's quite small red green uh, color um, quite sharp but it's actually a parent apple to many of the more popular apples on the market now and so you, if you kind of go up the family tree of the apples you'll often find the um, the or uh, the Cox um, Cox's orange pippin there and it's a great apple for just dicing up and throwing in a salad kind of very hardy but packed with flavor 
You were talking about the weird and wonderful, and I read about the knobby russet. The yeah. ugliest apple in the world. That made me laugh. Yeah. Awful. <laughs> That's an awful description of it because I think it's one of the most wonderful apples in the world. You don't tend to see them very often, um, even even over here, because they have quite a, a hard, textured brown skin on. And people kind of get turned off by that. They like to see what we've been kind of what we've been um shown as being kind of the the more preferred varieties, those kind of shiny red or, or, or green skinned apples that are obviously clearly very crispy and juicy. Whereas these are um, rough to touch. They're a little bit brown and they don't last as long as the other varieties do as well, but they are absolutely delicious. They've got a beautiful, sharp, cr- almost creamy juice to them. And yeah, they're great in a whole whole variety of, of cooking. And actually, I, I love juicing them um, you know, in a smoothie or something because the flavor is so distinctive. So I love using apple cider vinegar, and I've never thought of making it at home. And you have a recipe in the cookbook. Can you describe it? Now, this is an unfiltered cider vinegar. So you will get the, um, it's, re- it's kind of referred to as the mother, if you if you know your cider vinegar. Um, but it's like this the sediment that will collect at the, at the bottom. Um, so it's not as kind of clean and, and crisp as the as the ones that you'll find in the supermarket, but it's very easy to make. What I tend to do is keep the cores and the skins of apples. So if you're cooking, I'll just kind of, uh, when I um, cored and skinned um, the apples that I'm cooking with, I'll throw the uh, cores and skins into a little bag and pop it in the freezer until I have enough to make a kind of big batch. And then um, you add uh, filtered water to the skins and the cores and a little bit of sugar. And then what that helps do is is helps ferment it and just leave it in a dark dry place for about well you keep on checking it but it can take anything from kind of a couple of weeks to three four weeks for it just to ferment and it just kind of just sits there really and will gradually um gradually turn to turn to vinegar um and then uh once it's done around three four weeks take it out strain the apple pieces out of the liquid the some of the sediment will still come through so you're never going unless you kind of have a proper filtration system it's never going to completely remove the sediment but it's fine it's not going to hurt you (laughs) and then you have your own you have your own apple cider vinegar but yeah very easy it takes like a minute (laughs) as you wrote a book about apples wouldn't be complete without the king of apple desserts the apple pie talk to me about your hunt for the perfect american apple pie i'm very nervous about this (laughs) (laughs) hit it uh, yeah, because the um, when I when I was talking to my publisher about about the recipes that we were looking to include, I thought oh, I can't include an apple pie because everybody knows how to make that, or they have their preferred you know a recipe that's been handed down through the um, through the years. But we decided that we should make an attempt to kind of. Uh, to celebrate the American apple pie. So um, I'm very fortunate and have some friends in in the US um, who I uh, talk to about their recipes for apple pies and um, their mother's recipes and grandmothers. And uh, to be honest, you're very protective of your recipes. <laughs> and you, you didn't want to give away the um, the secrets very much, but um, uh, I was I could glean some insight into into what the, you know people like about it and what people don't like about it. I think the crust is something that you um, um, very, very keen on. Um, and then I also did some research into, I was like, right, what's the most kind of, what epitomizes America and American apple pie maybe? And I was like, well, the kitchen at the uh, White House, let's see what they use. And there was an interview um, done many years ago. Um, actually, when I think, I think it was Obama who was in, in the White House, so maybe not that long ago, but the there was an interview by the chef, the head chef at the, uh, at the White House who talked about the apple pie that he serves there that apparently Obama was very keen on. And 
it talks about using the lard and and everything in the pastry and and using a, a nut so it's like a nut crust um, in the pastry. So I thought, oh, brilliant! That's some. I'll try that. So then I tested a recipe with um, some different types of different varieties of apples. So we've got Bramley apples, so cooking apples, as well as things like Granny Smith in there, um, which help give that kind of um, uh, sauce and uh, kind of apple pieces uh, texture to the to the sauce. Um, and there's a little bit of spice in there too. And then the key thing I think. Is is the crust so we make a hazelnut um crust um on my on my pie so i just make a very basic uh short crust pastry um with some hazelnuts in, in as well and some extra sugar and bake that and it the crust comes the kind of, almost like a kind of biscuit so uh it's very tasty but um i'm hoping that it's a kind of an ode to the 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 good old american pie and that it's and it's and that people like it but um we'll see <laughs> so yesterday i made your recipes for the all-American apple pie, and the apple and rosemary cake. Describe your final version. Well, you kind of already did this, but give us a little bit of overview of the American apple pie. So the American apple pie, it's uh, it has a, a filling that's made up of variety of different apples. Um, so you can the nice thing about it is that you can kind of like I was saying earlier, find go out and find apples that are potentially new to you and try them out and decide like your what your preferred combination is. In there, I've got my uh, I've got cooking apples, which I think are essential for an apple pie because they break down and they give that lovely gooey sauce, which I I love. I've also got a Granny Smith in there, so a hard eating apple, which which um, will cook, but it keeps its shape so it won't lose it. So you can get that nice, you know, when you kind of cut into a pie and you get that um, segment and you can see the layers of the of the apples. And then I sometimes also put another red eating apple in there, although, I, yeah, I, I sometimes have three varieties, which is um, which is quite nice. So a mixture of varieties in there with some sugar, some cinnamon, um, got a nice kind of spicy mix. Um, and then the crust is the, uh, is the hazelnut crust, so uh, a short crust pastry, mixed with um, some ground hazelnuts, a little bit of extra sugar um, in there, which creates kind of biscuit-like texture to the crust, which I think is lovely. Pastry can be a little bit more tricky to work with because of hazelnuts, but if you if you kind of master it, then it's definitely worth it, I promise. Then the rosemary cake is... It's an apple loaf with rosemary in, and uh, it was a recipe I actually ac- made accidentally. I didn't mean to. I was making some standard um, apple loaves and testing the different varieties, and then just randomly put in a sprig of rosemary on top of one of the um, one of the loaves I was testing, and it came out and it tasted really delicious. So I upped the um, rosemary in it, and um, and I think I added some almonds on top, and, and we have a final. A final rosemary cake. Those are they're actually two of my favorite. The rosemary cake, I think, is actually really good. I like that a lot. Oh my um, gosh, it smells as good as it tastes. Yeah, it does, doesn't it? It really fills the kitchen. Oh my gosh, there's quite a bit of lemon in it. So the mm-hmm. rosemary lemon apple combination yeah. is delicious. I wish that was um, me planning it and being very kind of strategical in um, in the way that I was writing, but it was a total fluke. <laughs> well, we're thankful for that fluke. <laughs> <laughs> Now to my new segment this season called My Favorite Cookbook. Aside from this cookbook, what is your all-time favorite cookbook and why? Oh, that is such a hard question. <laughs> um, okay, I'm going to give you I'm going to give you two or three and then I'll pick my favorite. Okay, so, drum roll, here uh, we go. Okay, so I grew up in obviously the UK and over here, I don't know if you're aware of somebody called Delia Smith, um, who is, so she is, uh, 
she's absolutely huge in this country. She kind of basically helped a whole generation of cooks learn how to cook, um, home cooks. And she's similar to Mary Berry on Bake Off, um, that kind of ilk of just like general icon. Um, and anyway, she released a, uh, a book called Delia's Cookery Course, I think it's called, um, which she broke down in, into three or four volumes when I was um, a really young, uh, about kind of 10, 11. And I remember getting those books as gifts for like my birthday and um, Christmas um, and just absolutely devouring them and, and loving the way that she wrote and the pictures. And, you know, she it was she really stripped it back. So she was teaching you how to boil everything from an egg to make a stew um, as the kind of books progressed. So I really loved those and they are, I've got very happy memories of reading those books. My favorite, my two favorite food writers, uh, one is Nigel Slater, who I absolutely love and I think is not a cookery book, but I've recently reread his book Toast, which is about his uh, his uh, life growing up with food, which I love. I love that. Um, and then his later cookbooks as well, which I think are, are amazing. And then my ultimate favorite, favorite is Diane. Henry. I'm a huge Diana Henry fan. I think that the way that she writes is just, I don't think there's anybody else like her. And her book, A Bird in the Hand, the chicken book, as it's known in my house, is, I think that's my all-time favorite cookbook. I just love that book. I think it's so interesting that she's taken just one one topic, so one ingredient, and she's just created like, a, I think it's about 80 recipes in there, just a whole ton of ways uh, that you can cook with with chicken. Um, and the way that she describes kind of her early memories of, of, of roasted chicken and things like that is is just amazing. So I think that is my favorite favorite all-time cookbook. One last question before we wrap up. I wanted to ask you about apple cider donuts. So in the fall, our farmer's markets sell these delicious mm. apple cider donuts, and I didn't see it mentioned in your cookbook. Do you have these in England? No, that's not something we have. And I think, correct me if I'm wrong, it's the glaze, isn't it, that's apple cider? So, um, no, they. I think they work the apple cider into the mix too. So. Oh, and, oh, right. Okay. No, that's not something we actually have here. So hence why we don't, um, I didn't include them. Um, I have got some apple fritters, which are very similar. It's kind of like a donut. Um, yes, uh, uh, we know dough. what those are. Yeah. So um, <laughs> that's the closest I've got to it. But no, I'd love to try one of those. I haven't I haven't tasted one. I'm going to be back later on in the year. So I might go and, and, and find them in the farmer's market. Yes, definitely. So yeah. where can we find you on the web and social media? Um, so you can find me on Instagram, James underscore Rich, and also my website, which is brand new, and I'm very, trying very hard to keep it updated, which is jamesrichcooks.com. Thanks, James, for coming on Cookery by the Book podcast. Thank you so much for having me. It's been really fun. Thank you. Subscribe over on cookerybythebook.com. And thanks for listening to the number one cookbook podcast, Cookery by the Book.